Hey, this is John Stevens, pastor of Chapelwood, and this is our weekly sermon podcast. I hope it will impact your heart and your life and help you grow closer to God. Check us out online at chapelwood.org. Thanks for tuning in. This morning, we're going to read from the Acts of the Apostles, and it's chapter 4, verses 13 through 22. This is the aftermath of when, uh, you know, Peter and John healed the crippled beggar at the temple gate. Now, when they saw, and stand as you're able, I think the preacher's going to tell me I should have done that, but stand as you're able, <laughs> or sit as you please. Uh, let's study the Word of God. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated, ordinary men, they were amazed and recognized them, though, as companions of Jesus. And when they saw the man who had been cured standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. So they ordered them to leave the council there in the Sanhedrin while they discussed the matter with one another. They said, what will we do with them? For it's obvious to all who live in Jerusalem that a notable sign has been done through them. We cannot deny it, but to keep it from spreading further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them back in and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in God's sight to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot keep from speaking about what we have seen and heard. After threatening them again, they let them go finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all of them praised God for what had happened for the man on whom this sign of healing had been performed was more than 40 years old. This is the word of the Lord. It's me, iPad. It's me. It says, I don't recognize your face. Well, I haven't been here in a couple of weeks, so... Hi, by the way, my name is John Stevens. If, uh, if you don't know me, someone came out of the service at the first service and said, hey, I want to introduce myself, so you really exist. And I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, I just joined the church last week. I wasn't sure if you were like a computer-generated character, you know, on one of these movies or what. So uh, it was good to be able to meet him and be with him. The last couple of weeks, I've been engaged in doing some different things. I preached over at our other campus one week in Generaciones. If you haven't, if you're not aware Chapelwood has multiple different worship communities. So when we meet here on Sunday mornings, whether it's 8.30, 9.45, or 11.15, we have three services here, but there's a contemplative service in the chapel at 8.45. There's Mercy Street that meets on Saturday nights at 5.30 in the fellowship hall. We have Upper Room that meets in the Heights at Grace Methodist Church on Sunday morning. We have uh, Fairhaven Community, two services over there on Gessner Road and Generaciones, which is a Hispanic community. 
And so today, Feliz Dia de los Padres. Happy Father's Day. And that's about all you're going to get. I took, I said, uh, I told my, my running joke is, yo estudié español para seis años en la universidad, pero solo dice donde está el baño y una más cerveza. That's all I know. So. And so hopefully if you don't know what that means, you won't be offended. Um, so it's been fun to be there, but then also we're in, uh, we took a little break. My wife and uh, daughter and I went to Napa. I love to go to Napa, especially it's very relaxing uh, for a lot of reasons, but it's very pastoral scene. But I also love it because, you know, Jesus talked a lot about wine and he turned water into wine and the Old Testament uses wine as a symbol of God's abundance and blessing and providence. So I feel like if I go and I study about wine, I can expense it to the church, right? <laughs> Wrong. Don't do that. It's a joke. Don't send it. Don't hiss. Who's the Aggie hissing? Come on. You need to be positive today. You're playing the Longhorns, right? We need more whoops and less. All right. So my daughter goes to Oklahoma. I will make no comment about that. But, um, you know, it's been interesting. I, today is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to everybody. My wife asks me every year on Father's Day, what can I get you for Father's Day? And I, my answer is always the same. I want to be able to play golf on Mother's Day. And it never works. I never get it. So it's good to be back. And then uh, this week, we've got a couple of exciting things happen as Joseph prayed and the prayer and announced. We've got over 200 people, youth and adults, that are going to Lake Charles. Lake Charles has been ravaged, as you know, in the last couple of years with hurricanes uh, on top of back to back on top of each other. So the Summit Youth Mission is going to go there and be involved. They're leaving this afternoon at 2. So we want to pray for safety. We want to pray for great mission and ministry. We want to great for, uh, pray for our leaders, for patience and renewal and strength and that God's um, light will shine through them and the gospel will be lifted up. They always have time of worship together at night where it's really powerful. Summit is an amazing thing. So pray for them. And then on Tuesday, I'm going with a group of Chapelwood uh, folks here. We're going to uh, Abramagal, Germany uh, for the once every decade, once every 10 year passion play that happens. Of course, this time it's once every, well, I had 12 years. It was supposed to be in 2020 and it got moved to 2022. And so this uh, pilgrimage is part of taking in this ancient passion play, which was created by this town because God delivered them from the plague in the 17th century. And they promised that if God would deliver them from the plague, that they would forever, for the rest of eternity, tell the story of the, of the gospel from the beginning to the end. And so everyone was cured of the plague. No one else got it. And they have held to that every 10 years. They do this massive thing that starts in the spring, goes through the fall. And people who live in the town inherit their parts. So if your grandfather was Peter, your father was Peter, you get to be Peter. Um, no tryouts. You just inherit it. And the whole town takes over. And uh, our, our guy that we're going with said that they also have had these miraculous stories I can't wait to hear about during the season of COVID. How in many ways that they... Um, were able to escape and to be a pocket where it wasn't as bad for them. So I'm thinking Abramagal's got something going on, continuing to proclaim the story of Jesus. And that's kind of what our scripture is about today. I love the book of Acts because Acts is all about the beginning of the church. It's the beginning. Now, Jesus has been raised from the dead, resurrected, and is now ascended back to the Father. And it's this ragtag group of disciples that now have to create this church. These are not the people you would pick. <laughs> 
I mean, you would, pick, you would pick educated people, powerful people, people who could move the needle, who could influence society in politics, in resources, in business. But these guys and gals were just simple people. And they were collected by Jesus uh, around the, but their different needs. And so here in this story today, we have a story of Peter and John, two fishermen, who are uneducated as the scripture says, uneducated or untrained and ordinary men. Uh, but something miraculous happens. And what I want to look at today is this whole aspect of the witness. And what we have to start in chapter 3. As Lane said, uh, it's chapter 3 and 4 are actually one story. And in chapter 3, Peter and John, who are still observant Jews, yes, they're followers of Jesus, they believe in Jesus, but you have to understand in the early first part of the Christian church, they are Jews who believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the fulfillment of their Judaism. So still as good Jews, they go to the temple regularly to pray, just like a good Jew would. And as they're going, there is a man who's been brought and laid out. He's been uh, lame his whole life. They bring him out, they put him on the steps so he can collect alms, so the people can give him uh, gifts. Because you have to pass by, and that's one of the things you're supposed to do is engage in almsgiving on the Sabbath. And so this man is laid there before them, and after, uh, when Peter comes up and John, they see him, the man, uh, Peter looks at him and the man thinks he's going to give him alms and Peter says, look at us, look at us. And he has this great line that's famous and been uh, shared through the years. Peter says, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he takes him by the right hand. He stands him up. It says the scripture that his legs and his ankles are strengthened. And he begins to jump around. That's what I'd do if it were me. He begins to jump around and celebrate. And then he goes into the temple with Peter and John. And John now has a free audience of people who are like, what happened here? This guy just got healed. We know this guy. We walk over him every Sabbath. And now he's standing and, and Peter begins to proclaim this good news of the gospel in Acts chapter 3. <coughs> and as he unpacks it, he begins to talk about Moses and the patriarchs and the prophets and how all of this is linked to Jesus himself. And after he does this, he is immediately, he and John are arrested. They are arrested and taken because for making the claim that this man standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and then he says to all of them, whom you all, by the way, crucified, whom God raised from the dead, there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which they may be saved. And this boldness and this certainty and this proclamation of Jesus causes the religious leaders to realize that Peter and John have something special. They recognize, the scripture says, that they were companions of Jesus. And it says in the scripture uh, that they were uneducated and ordinary men. Now, first, when I first read this, I thought, Luke writes Acts. Luke was not one of the original 12, but he became a follower of Jesus and he went with Paul and he writes Luke and he writes Acts. Now, Luke was a doctor. And it makes me wonder whether like Luke's getting in a dig here, right? They were uneducated and ordinary men. But that's not what's happening. Because this is the way the religious establishment sees them. These are fishermen. 
And so what's happening here is the reality is the religious leaders are looking at these two men and thinking they are talking and acting and performing in a way that doesn't seem within their capability. They're going beyond what I would think they're able to do. By the way they dress, by the way they speak, their accent, uh, everything. They're fishermen. They're low, uneducated, ordinary men. How are they able to proclaim with such confidence? This was offensive to the religious leaders. Sometimes my grandmother used to say when I was young, John, you may have a lot of book sense, but child, you ain't got a lot of walking around sense. (laughs) You ever heard that before? Every time I graduated from another school, I'd say, I'd just think of what my grandmother used to say. Book sense is good, son, but you need some walking around sense. And Peter and John, have, have all, I have walking around sense, not the book sense, like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but they got the walking around sense. N.T. Wright, who's a great former bishop in the Anglican Church and theologian, says book learning is often a poor substitute for firsthand experience if you really want to get inside the subject or have it inside of you. This is the central message for today. The question for us is, do we have first-hand experience of Jesus in our lives? Don't answer that too quickly. Do we personally have first-hand experience of Jesus in our lives? Do we have this subject of the radical grace of Jesus Christ saturated in our lives, in our DNA, in the very muscle and sinew and tissue in our spirit. N.T. Wright goes on to say, clearly Peter and John had not been to rabbinical school to study the scriptures. They were untrained, uneducated, ordinary men. And what's more, they had come out with this shrewd use of the psalm. They made this pivot about Moses and the prophets. They drew it all back into to Jesus. I mean, it's the kind of sermon that you'd think, man, this guy had to go to homiletics school. That's a fancy word for preaching in seminary. This guy's had to go to preaching school. How they constructed this together and made this argument and tied it into the faith of the Hebrews that were standing there in such a persuasive way. They're like, what in the world's going on with these guys? What do they have? What are they doing? They were threatened. But here's the secret Peter and John had. Peter and John had the secret that enabled them to run rings around the book learning of all the authorities, of all the religious leaders of the day. They had been with Jesus. They had walked with Jesus. They sat around campfires with Jesus. They ate meals with Jesus. For three years, they watched Jesus deal with crises, stress, attacks, slings and arrows coming at him, people trying to kill him. They were with him along the way every day. They slept with him. They ate with him. They walked with him. They heard him. They saw him interact with the broken, with the marginalized, with those who were were unclean, according to society. They had seen it firsthand. It was in them. Because they had been close. So they didn't need a seminary textbook. They didn't need a commentary. This fresh, creative way of drawing out this inner message, man, they owned it. They lived it. 
They heard Jesus talk about Moses and the prophets and the fulfillment. They heard Jesus quote the Psalms and how his role was to fit in it to as the Messiah. They had it memorized, they had it saturated in their being. And that also gave them, by walking alongside of Jesus on a regular basis, it gave them the courage to defy these authorities who said that they were the gatekeepers of religious establishment of what was religiously right and wrong, of who has access to God and who does not. You can only have that kind of confidence. You can only speak with that kind of authority when you have been in the active presence of Jesus on a regular basis. That's what Peter and John have. Just gonna tell you, attending or watching church once every blue moon, having a Bible in your house that you never pick up and you never read, Never really praying unless you feel like your survival's threatened. Those are not the kinds of things that are going to get you that firsthand front row experience of Jesus. It's not going to saturate your DNA and your being. It's going to be hard to speak and live and talk and act like Jesus when you only... When you're only up close or knowledgeable or read or spend time with him once every once in a while. That's what we see here in this passage of scripture. Jesus says to his followers several times, I can only say what I hear my father say. And I can only do what my father tells me to do. I don't do these things on my own. And now Peter and John have heard that so many times and they're modeling that. They're like, I can only do what Jesus did. He walked up and healed people. Can you imagine first time Peter goes to heal somebody? He's like, now I saw Jesus do this. John, what do you think? Should I give it a go? He goes, hey man, all you can do is massively fail in the name of Jesus. And he goes with the confidence and and he heals him. But that, that, that confidence of seeing what he does, even when you're not really sure if you can do it or not. I'll give you an example. This past week, I got a text from a couple in the church. And they said, our, our son is ready to pray and accept Jesus. And, and he wants to meet with you because his older brother came and met with him. We, we met together a couple years ago. So he wanted to do that. So we met, we talked about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, how you pray that prayer to receive Jesus into your heart and your life. But that's just the first step. That's one step. And that every single day you have to say yes to Jesus. That's a very Wesleyan understanding of grace. Every day you gotta say yes. Every day you gotta learn. You gotta spend some time reading about Jesus so you can know who Jesus is and how Jesus talks and how Jesus acts and how Jesus treats other people. That's the only way you're gonna know God. You gotta learn to forgive and you gotta learn to be forgiven. You gotta know you're gonna make mistakes. I said, but one of the things you got to do is you got to read it. So I, I pulled him out one of our third grade Bibles. I gave him the Bible and I bookmarked the Gospel of Mark. It's always the best book to start with because it's short, staccato, active verbs, lots of action. And I said, now I want you to take this. I said, and every day, make sure you read a bit. One chapter every day. I said, because when you get from that, then stay in the Gospels. And even though you're going to read all of the Bible at some point, I want to make sure that every time you have Gospels, you have stories of Jesus in your reading. So even when you go and you get bogged down, you know, people read through the Bible in a year, and when they get to like Leviticus and Numbers, they quit. Trust me, I'd quit too. Make sure you got some Gospels in there. It keeps you going. 
right? And you got, that's how you know Jesus. That's how you walk alongside Jesus. That's how you have the front row seat. That's how we battle against them. So his mom later that night sent me a text message. She sends me this picture. And all she said in the text was, the meeting must have gone well. <laughs> this is a picture of how we should all want to spend time knowing Jesus more deeply, learning about Jesus so we can model his behavior, model his words, model his actions. This is what it's all about, my friends. The witness of love, the witness of the gospel. It's all about this. It's all about this passage. It's all about this story. Here's the important aspect of this passage I want to lift up today. In today's society and in the church, people think that faithfulness to God is in doctrinal purity. What do I mean by that? Well, you have to have the correct belief systems. You have to believe them correctly. And if anyone differs from that, then you have to break ranks on interpretation. If anyone has a different interpretation, you can't stay, you can't be a part of that because it's about the purity of the beliefs. After all, for a lot of modern people, including many of us in our room, we have been taught to think that faith, good faith, is about the right beliefs. Now, let me say something right here and make it very clear. Belief is very important. It's critically important. Doctrine is important. We have doctrinal standards in the United Methodist Church that we can't even say. We can't even change them. We don't need to change them. They've been around since 1808, since we started as a Methodist movement. Articles of religion, the confessions of faith, they can't be changed. They're important. But my friends, if all you have is belief, if all you have is a structure of, of codified statements that, that have to be run correctly, right, and only in one certain way, the problem you're going to have here is you're going to miss out on what it means to put those beliefs into practice. And I'm just going to tell you something. When we read the Gospels, the life of Jesus, when you read Paul, when you read all of the totality of Scripture, what you find is that in the life and the ministry of Jesus, when you hear his words and you see his actions, you find a Savior who is constantly challenging established beliefs. You've heard it said, A, but I tell you, B. You've heard it said, you've heard it taught, healing on the Sabbath in violation of the religious rules continuing to counter up against the prevailing culture, speaking to authority and power, reaching out and eating with the unclean, the sinners, the lost, the tax collectors, the prostitutes. These are things you don't do because the rules say if you do those things, you're unclean. The rules are clear. That's why the Pharisees and the Sadducees always condemned him when he did these things. Now let me make it clear. Jesus was very clear. I'm not doing away with the rules. I'm not doing away with the beliefs. Not at all. Jesus says, not one iota of the law will be taken away. What he comes to do is fulfill the law, which means that the heart of the law is the law. 
not the word of the law, the heart of the law. This is Jesus. And so when you see his life, when you see his ministry, when you hear his words, when you find him constantly challenging, he didn't say the beliefs were useless. He didn't want them thrown out. He wanted his followers to see that there's more here. There's more that's intended than the letter. It's the heart of the law. That's what moves the needle. That's what changes lives. We cannot keep from speaking what we have seen and heard. I love that Peter and John say this. We cannot keep from speaking what we have seen and heard. They said, we want you to go out of here. We don't want you to say anything else about Jesus. They're like, you know, it's going to be up to God to judge whether you're right or we're right. But one thing we're going to tell you that we're going to do and we're not going to stop doing is we're going to, we're going to continue to say what Jesus said. We're going to continue to do what Jesus did. And we're going to continue to live in such a way that Jesus modeled for us. I look at the world we live in and it is deeply, deeply divided. It's a really tough time right now. You know, I used to be able to say things in a sermon like, well, you know, you got Republicans and you got Democrats, and Democrats don't like Republicans, and Republicans don't like Democrats. Let me just tell you, Republicans don't even like Republicans anymore, and Democrats don't even like Democrats. There's like, they're, they, I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's like, you can't even use those examples anymore. I think everybody's divided. Every denomination, it, it, it makes... This is going to sound really horrible. Please, can we just edit this out of the video? You know, sometimes I wonder, well, United Methodist Church, man, we're going through a lot of divisions. It's really tough. I'm not really sure if you've watched the news, but every denomination is going through a lot of stuff. And it makes me feel better about myself. That's <laughs> what you need to edit out. It's like, this is just where we are. So what is the remedy? What is the answer? The answer is not greater obedience and purity to the rules. That only leads to self-righteousness, and Jesus is clear, it only leads to death. We gotta find the heart. The heart of God's love and radical grace, scandalous grace, breaking down barriers, being kind to one another, gentle, peaceful, loving. One of the things I found in the last couple of weeks going to some of these annual conferences, whether it's in Georgia or Texas or watching some in Florida or in Alabama. And I watch sometimes how people use fear as a weapon to divide. Jesus never did that. And these are church meetings, folks. We're going to have to find a way not to tear someone else down in order to make our case. Because the case we make is the case of Jesus, the case of love, the case of grace, the case of transformation, the case of salvation. And you can't make that case by being mean-spirited and filled with fear and antagonistic and always looking for a fight. I love Peter and John saying, you know, God's going to be the judge. God's going to be the judge whether you're right or all right. All we know, all we can do. All we can do is speak what we've heard and live what we've seen in Jesus. 
And look at where it got us. The Christian movement transformed the world because the followers of Christ weren't out propagating certain belief systems and doctrinal papers. They were in the streets where the need was loving and modeling the life of Jesus, loving as Jesus loved. At church, if you want to change the world, I can't do anything about Washington or Houston. I can't change the world. I can't. What I can do is I can change me. And I can make a commitment to be a follower of Jesus. And if every single Christian made that same commitment, then you would see the world change. It starts with us. It starts with you. It starts with me. Let us only do what we see. Let us only speak what we've heard. Just like Peter and John. Let's pray. Lord, the witness of our love is expressed in the life and the ministry of Jesus. Lord, it is important. What we believe is important. We stand on our... The reason we, we speak the affirmation of faith, the reason we pray the Lord's prayers, these are fundamental to our guiding identity of who we are, how we're grounded, what we know. But we're not people only of intellectual assent. We are people who live out of love, people who live out of grace people who live out of the unity, which is the spirit that Jesus prays for at the end of the Gospel of John. Lord, I pray that as we go from this place that we will continue to read the stories of Jesus, learn as much about him as we can, and begin to imitate him in all of our living. In the name of Christ, we pray.